Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Hussein Kasai, CEO and founder at Quench, to the show. Hussein, welcome. Good to be on. Yeah, great to have you here. Appreciate your time. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. I started my entrepreneurial journey maybe when I was about 12 or 13 with an eBay business and then later tried different things, but was always quite interested. Then I went to university and at university, I had a few projects, but the main one for me that stuck was identity. And so met along with two of my friends, we set up on Fido. I was a co-founder and CEO and founded in 2010 and built out over 10 years until the end of 2020. We brought in a new CEO to sell the company. I took a year off and for the past 18 months, I've been focusing on Quench.ai, which is in essence, we're looking at bringing AI to the learning journey, specifically startup scale of corporate learning in particular. Okay. And so it sounds like you've been then a serial entrepreneur founder since university or even before university. Well, serial failures, but yes, but I got lucky though. By the time I left, there were about 500 people uh, turned into like a unicorn and certainly was at the right time doing the right thing. Okay. And then your training, is it, is it on the commercial side? Are you a technical founder? I studied economics and management. So you could say like, like me, like you, like most, most sort of entrepreneurs, founders, like a lot of this is self-directed learning anyway, but if, if you talk about formal training that I've actually paid for, it is had many coaches over the, over the years, but at university, I studied economics and management. Okay. Okay. Yeah. appreciate that insight. So yeah, let's talk about Quench. What, what, what products and services does Quench offer? In many ways, it maps onto the difficulties I had over the 10 years around Fido, and that was upskilling and training the team. And the three broad areas first was we ended up building our own content called on Fido University. Just, it wasn't great content and sort of maybe B, B plus, but at least it was relevant. The challenge was once we were about 40 or 50 modules, it became increasingly difficult for people to find the relevant stuff. And so over at Quench.ai, the first thing that we do when we onboard a partner, we ask them to upload all their internal courses, their internal recordings, Zoom calls, all hands, whatever it is. And our AI just takes a transcript of that, indexes it so that we have a conceptual understanding of what's covered so that it, as and when a team member or an employee is searching for something, it could be, they could be searching for like share options or whatever it is. We take them to the precise moments in the specific video where this was captured previously. The second thing I found out on Fido is that we had, we, we started to spend quite a bit on course websites and it's quite good at an individual level where someone comes and says, I want this specific course. We pay for it and it's a very strong ROI. But then when you want to buy a license for the whole team, you start to see that the costs mount and yet, unfortunately, the completion rates are sub 10%. And that was sort of frustrating for me. It's like, why is it so low? And I kind of came to appreciate and realize that it's better for us to have a way of knowing who are the 10 or 20% of the team who really want to learn and let's increase our budget for them. And crucially, let's see who wants to, once they've engaged with the course recordings and so on, who wants to engage in live learning, be it coaching workshops and otherwise, and able to sort of do it that way. So at Quench AI, we all never produce our own content. We partner with content experts, coaches, and others where team members are able to access these, these courses and as and when they want to, they're able to go and book live learning workshops and whatever, which is essentially, it's a, it's a way to discover and match you to those experts without us necessarily uh, producing anything ourselves. And then the third and final thing that I learned at Onfido, my first startup was 
some of our best performers were our best learners. And when I sat next to them and, and I sort of said, how do you go about learning? Often, and it may not come to, to you as a surprise, they would go to the free resources. It could be Reddit, Google, YouTube, and, and so on. And when I saw that in the engineering team and the legal team in particular, they were naturally inclined to read effectively and digest stuff and like show to stuff that's not relevant. And I felt, wouldn't it be amazing if, if we could just apply the same, but using AI to the transcripts of educational videos so that we can filter out bits that aren't relevant and just take them to the relevant moments. So I'm a big, big YouTube fan, as you are, as I'm sure most of your listeners are. But we've noticed, and maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, it's much, much easier to find things. Now, it's really, really difficult. So if I go on YouTube and I type in, give me quick tips on how I should interview for my the next head of sales I want to sort of bring on, and I've got an interview in 20 minutes. That is quite hard to do. And most of the results you'd find in the first few pages are all geared towards applicants wanting to apply for a sales role, not the interviewer looking to interview for a sales role. And that's because YouTube is indexed across keyword searches and descriptions, not actually the transcripts of what's in there. And now because of SEO and other reasons, often the title doesn't fully capture what is included in this, in this video. And therefore, so the third thing that, that we focus on across AI is whoever wants to learn something more informal and find it maybe on free resources such as YouTube, you, there's a conversation space. You tell us what is that you say, I want to, okay, I want to interview for head of sales. I'm a startup of 50 employees and so on and so forth. Once we understand a bit about what your context is, then we pull from public resources, the relevant moments based on the transcripts. So that's easier for someone to search and find. And then where our AI gets better is that if you engage with say four videos to answer your question, but you spend more time on video two and video three, the next time when someone similar asks a similar question, they'd see video two and three first, and that's what ranks. So ultimately, what are naturally our very long-term goal is to bring really personalized learning to every single team member. So when an employee signs up and starts work on their first day, they go through that journey, but it, the way our first version works is uploading your private content, indexing that, giving access to professional content, both asynchronous courses and then live learning should they want it. And third, making public content, i.e. YouTube content, more accessible. Yeah, really interesting. That that really helps a lot. So so you're focused on businesses, professionals, but you're not producing content. So you're bringing third-party content in through part through partners, maybe direct relationships with partners, but then what you just said also, you're bringing then in a public content into your platform as well. Precisely, Andrew. When you talk of content experts who produce courses and do coaching and so on, often a lot of their traffic is direct consumer. What we bring to them is enterprise revenue. And our relationship with them is essentially a revenue share. So they typically give us foundational courses, foundational modules. That's included in the subscription for employees to, to watch. And then as and when those employees want to engage more, they want to purchase more courses or actually engage in live learning and coaching, then we just get a, get a sort of a cut. It's more of a lead gen tool for, for, for course providers. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. So if, if businesses come to you, do they have specific things in mind that they want their employee base to have access to, you know, how does that work where it's like, you know, if they come to you and they want, uh, you know, a specific topic and, and you look in your library and it's like, hey, we don't have this. Do you go find it and then help them? Tell me about how that, that onboarding process works with a business, with your customer. Yes. So there are two types. One, the first type, they, okay, we are happy with our internal contents. We've got over a thousand or, or let's say hundreds of 
of recordings for new joiners, for sales training, and we only want our own things. And that's fine, we just disable everything else, the professional content and the public searchable content. And they upload the inflow content and it primarily makes it a lot more easy for team members to find relevant things. And for all that to be structured as new joiners, sales training, or all hands and so on. But most have that in addition to public content, whereby typically one in every 20 queries are related to people, employees at startups and scale-ups asking for a structured course. Okay, I want to spend five, six hours learning about the fundamentals of LinkedIn marketing, for instance. But 19 out of 20 queries that we get are actually more about informal learning. It's things that you would might you typically would ask maybe before the pandemic in a startup, you turn to your colleague next to you. But post-pandemic, especially junior team members who are new to the sort of startup world, they've not really had that onboarding experience as, as more so that more senior colleagues would have. So they ask basic questions around how do I manage like my colleagues just lost a cat? How, how do I go about doing that? How do I go about uh, presenting to the founders? How do I sh- share a proposal to the product team? Those are the types of queries that uh, you, you find incredible stuff on YouTube. Okay, interesting. And, and how does your monetization model work? Is this you know, per seat, a subscription basis for these companies to, to access your platform? Yeah, so we have a flat fee for use of the platform of fewer than 100 employees. And then we have a, a higher fee for those who have between 100 and 500 employees. And for that small flat monthly fee, what they get access to is they basically upload all their internal content and have their team members search and do, do unlimited queries and watches and so on. And then in addition, they get their employees get full free access to searching public content as much as they want. They get exposed to professional paid courses, but at that point, if an employee wants to access a paid course, that would be an add-on. And that add-on typically is sort of like $100 per year for the full subscription of, of the courses. And then, then if they want to do live learning, coaching, whatever, those are all add-ons on top. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'd love that. So really interesting, definitely as a course provider myself and content provider, but so what year did you found Quench? 2021. It feels like a, a long time ago, but it's been just over 18 months that we've had, we raised our pre-seed and we've had a team working on it full time. Okay. All right. So 2021. And do you have a physical location? Are you guys remote? We are, of our team of 15, just over half of us are based in, in London, but the rest are remote. US, Netherlands, Germany, and even a colleague out in Australia. Okay. So current team. So London plus just you know, a lot of different locations and then team size of 15 currently. And then anything you want to share around your ARR revenue range? So it's six figures and, but we are early stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. And then how do you find your prospects? Tell, tell me about your go-to-market motion and then what's your ICP? Is it just any business out there? Do you have certain industries that you target as for, for prospects and customers? So ideal prospect would be predominantly we're focusing more on the startup and the tech community. Often because it's high growth, learning matters. We deliver just in time learning in essence. Historically, you might be go to university, you might sort of read something, you might listen to a podcast. You try to memorize and remember things just in case you might need to apply them in the future. But in, in this new world, especially as AI is changing many things, I have to set an agenda for my marketing meeting in 20 minutes. I need something right now, just in case, just in time for me to sort of apply it. And you tend to learn more effectively anyway, when you're learning and you're applying it straight away uh, in essence. So with that said, it's 
the startup and tech community as a whole. Our primary focus is, is startups right now, just under 100 and getting 100 and 500 is how we categorize them. In the long term, we want to go to very large enterprises too, but that is uh, our way away. The second, there's some in the knowledge industries like consulting firms and things of that nature. And when it's you, you organizations that typically have a large junior workforce that need to be onboarded around quite quickly, we tend to do quite well there too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then you mentioned a pre-suite round. How much capital have you raised to date? So our pre-seed round was $5 million. Okay. All right. So $5 million pre-seed round. And then what triggers or milestones led you to that pre-seed raise of $5 million? It is. So just, just to explain that we need this team to build the products that learning, in our view, our community of, of sort of learning has been personalized learning. And that we're not there yet, but, but that's the, the vision. And therefore we need to build our own AI models that are essentially contextualized just for applied in just this specific sense. That is the, the first thing to say. And the second thing is, which somewhat relates to your previous question. We, as a team, just about half of us come from our, the previous startup, which is on Fido and our on Fido experience is pretty much B2B sales and, and, and AI. So your question is, how do we go and find prospects in our First, the, the majority of activities that we have right now, those leads have come primarily from our network. So companies that we may have partnered with previously, or those that, that we know, but as you know, early stage is somewhat different to, to the way things look like, how, how things look in the future. Okay. Okay. And any lessons learned in that, that pre-seed round? I mean, at your, when you raised the 5 million, was it just a vision? Did you have an MVP? Did you have a product? You know. Tell us about that, that process. It was a very basic MVP and the, the, the pitch was more a vision. And that vision is if we fast forward two years from now, as the learning spaces, I suspect, I, I, I sort of argue fragmented, broken, and most, almost every startup accepts like they have to get this right. And almost most founders will tell you why they're frustrated with it one way or another. So in my view, if you fast forward two years from now. When I, as a founder, am onboarding an employee, a team member, I want them to first to come interact with Crunch AI and tell us a little bit about their learning goals. That would be this quarter, this year, maybe in three years' time. I want to be grow better at growth marketing and I want to maybe be a team lead in the next three years. Then we know and we've got that context, we can structure custom curated playlists or learning pathways for them to essentially develop bite-sized, but over many, many weeks, over many quarters to develop. And this is the, the whole point of the future of learning. It's bite-sized where relevance is where for you to, to be able to apply that. As we're giving you that relevant content, that is primarily what we focus on so far. We want to help you learn effectively. So relevant quizzes as you go along that learning journey. And that, that is typically the current version. It's like very basic multiple choice questions. It's nothing that will catch you out. But if you've watched and engaged, you'd be able to answer basically. And crucially getting good at the showing ROI. Because I've been on the other side as a, as a buyer, right? And learning ROI is like very hard. So you improve the engagement and the utility to the user at an employee level by giving them actions and things that they can apply to their work regularly, whether that's every shifting mess, every at the end of every module or, or, or similar, and making it easier for them to find things. And you really help the, the buyer, be that at a founder, head of learning development, sales and development, wherever that role is, by showing them the ROI. And part of what our vision is, and we've not done this yet, 
is we want to ask on a quarterly basis, what is your goal as a founder or so on? And you can say, my goal is I want the team to increase, bring the customer voice more into their discussions, for instance. And so once we know that AI is now able to help you as you're creating content and as you're giving sort of flashcards for them to apply their learnings more regularly, we will index more on the ability to raise the customer voice. But as a founder, I'm sitting about 500 or less even 5,000 people. I'm now in a material way able to say this quarter's theme is bringing the customer voice into our conversations more. And I know with a click on a few buttons, that's going to filter down to everyone. And everyone has a, essentially a personalized AI learning coach and the content and everything else essentially fills, fills up behind that. This is, in my view, the perfect ability and now the opportunity for generative AI to deliver. Whereas 10 years ago, it was the precursor to this, right? It was more computer vision or narrow AI, machine learning, essentially. And at the time, it was, this is perfect for government, I didn't biometrics for Anchilo, the previous startups. Now, generative AI can really do a good job in solving this learning problem. Yeah, I love that. In do you consider, say, a platform like Udemy a, a competitor, or do you feel like you're just completely different from, from those types of platforms that are trying to provide content to businesses? So the big, the last set of innovation in the space, was the real innovation was about 10 years ago, Udemy, Pluralsight, and, and a few similar ones, which are course libraries, and they have tens of thousands uh, of courses. Often, Udemy would have more than 106,000. If I'm a product manager and I go in there and I type in product management, they get 10,000 courses. These are supply-side libraries, which are rich and some great content in there, but relatively difficult to find. Mm. So the way we look at it is we are the other end of the spectrum where demand-driven, where the employee tells us what do they want to learn, and then we just go out and like, pull from that. We have a fair few number of content experts that are on Udemy and are also on, on, on Quench. We tend to give them a lot more enterprise revenue, whereas Udemy, not, not exclusively, but typically is more direct consumer. So we would like to think because we're not ourselves going to produce content, these content experts essentially are able to come and, and also host content on as well. Yes, in that sense, we're going for the same budgets and it's fair to say that they're a competitor. But I would like to think that the, the crucial building block to move to a demand side, I mean, demand driven, curated playlist for a user that brings just in time learning is that's leveraging generative eyes is more our approach. But, but yeah, that's. Time. Yeah, but that's a big distinction, that demand-driven, which is great. And then, Hussein, at the current stage of the business, do you have a favorite number of metric that you're focused on to, to, to guide Quench? Uh, I do, and that is a participation rate. So typically when you look at, the question is, in a typical organization, how many team members participate in some sort of learning development, which means more than 15 minutes of learning. It doesn't have to be in one go. It could be spread out over the week, in a typical week. And that hovers around a 10 to 15% mark at best. It depends how you classify it. You know, if I'm reading a Twitter thread, is that learning or is it not? But at best, it's about 10 to 15%. It's just lower than what we may want to think. Uh, obviously, a lot of learning comes from peer-to-peer, -peer, from meetings, from shadowing, all that. I'm not, I'm not discrediting that. I actually think that is still incredibly and will continue to be the most useful thing. I'm talking, talking mostly about learning development that you bring externally to, to an organization. So for us, it's to take that participation rate from, say, 15% at best, push it towards 25%. We're very well aware we're not going to get 100% of the team to do, but moving that 15% to 25% would mean an organization, in my view, becomes significantly more competitive. But this is minor learnings and data insights and, and decisions that, that are improved over a long period of time, the minor ones that I've seen, especially on video, and up over time and make you 
competitively do a better job. And do you think, I mean, it's really interesting as a CFO, you know, go through the budget process and oftentimes like training would get cut. If we have to cut things, sometimes training gets cut. And you, you see when I've worked in really large orgs, Fortune 500 companies, they have formal training orgs within those. So they have content and things that you can do. But when you early stage smaller companies, it seems like it's just not formalized. It's just not a focus. Do you think there's a, a, a cultural change that needs to happen at the early stage and smaller company level to make sure learning is, is core to their, their culture? Sure. Most, most startups say that learning is core to their culture. And you'd know better than me that most applicants in a competitive space, when there's a strong talent, when they're looking to join a company, they actually pretty high ranking in their list is, can I learn a lot here? But like you say, and I've been on the other side, I have cut learning development budgets myself. And it's, it's, it's not a difficult cut when you say that, when you see that there's only, I'm paying so much and at, at one point more than $100,000 and yet it's only a 10% completion rate. So, hey, 90% of the team I'm paying for and they're not using that. So yes, it continues to be difficult. For me, the magic difference here would be properly being able to show ROI. And that hasn't happened yet, right? You'd like to think, hey, we're spending a lot. It's not too dissimilar to marketing. We're spending a lot of money. The teams say that they're engaged and they're, they're learning, but you know, you can't really show direct data-driven ROI. And nowadays, most companies that want to do really well, they need to show data-driven ROI. That's why I went to, I shared the point about in the long term, I want to type in the theme for this quarter is bringing customer voice in and that fails to suit the rest of the team. So it's, it's like you say, currently, despite it being in the DNA, at least in rhetoric, that we need to learn. In practice, budgets are cut. But I would like to think that in the long term, if there were to be a solution that is properly embedded into an organization, where every individual team member properly has a personal AI coach and they're able to engage with, learn, and, and be very, very, feel like, just like a coach, just like a team lead at a startup, you go to them constantly, you're able to constantly go to this AI. That becomes so embedded that it becomes more sticky. I am convinced that that is gonna happen and that, that company that does that is going to be a very big company. And whether that's going to be us or not depends on timing and luck and I suppose how hard we work as a team. But I can tell you that I, I would personally like for that to have existed that on Cheeto and I would overpay quite a bit for it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it just seems like, you have the, you know, of course, a lot of on-the-job learning, you know, with smaller companies, say less than a couple hundred employees. But still, I think, yeah, just in my opinion, a lot of effort to, to be able be made there to make, you know, that formal training, those formal add-ons like you talk about. So, but Hussein, really appreciate your time today as we wrap up. What's coming up next for Quench? So we are continuing to make progress. We're doing a little bit more with partners. And in Q1, we're going to be starting our activities on, on the East Coast of the U.S. with our first office there and working our way through to the rest of the U.S. And in a similar way that, that we started with, but on Gido. Bonfito's launch in the US was back in 2015. It's been seven years. No, it's eight years now. And by January, it would have been longer. So looking forward to that. Okay, that's great. Well, again, really appreciate your time and, and sharing your insight and experience. So if listeners would like to learn more about Quench, where should we send them online? Quench.ai, and it's easy to sign up. And if you fill out a form, we'll set you up on a trial. And more, more, more than anything else, we're quite interested in, in feedback. And we're, we're early in our product. But we'd like to think that we're quite receptive and listening to what is a sort of shared journey around what our clients think the future ought to be and our ambition is to build towards that. 
All right. I love it. Of course, now as a content creator and educator, I love what you guys are doing. So if you'd like to learn more about Hussein and what they're doing at Quench, check out quench.ai. And Hussein, really appreciate your time today. Pleasure's mine.